You're wondering probably, I'm going to ask my boys to come on up and you guys bring along there backstage and they're just going to help me in a little prop. As they're getting this set up, I want to welcome the Thompsons, uh, Team Thompson over there from New Jersey that's here. Good to see you guys. And if you're a guest and a visitor visiting with us, we, we thank you for being a part of our service today. Um, I've, I want to just have a little demonstration with you. And I'm grateful for the Veldies who helped me set this up. And so these are not my dresses, just in case you're wondering. I'm going to just put this on for just a moment. It gets a little chilly in the auditorium. I'm going to put this coat on because I think I'm in Minnesota right now. Follow along with me. If you've seen the sign that's out there this week, it might have gotten you by a little bit of a surprise. What in the world is the church doing putting the word underwear in public display? Our outerwear serves to project our perceived identity, while our underwear serves to protect our personal identity. In a personal relationship, we only reveal our undergarments in very intimate settings. Would you agree? It's not like we just go around just revealing ourselves. And so for just a moment, I want to just talk to you about this subject that God laid on my heart about four weeks ago when God took me to the country of Colombia. I went there on just a personal retreat and wanting to, I wasn't planning on going to Columbia at all. Um, actually, I was planning on going up to Melbourne and taking one or two days and just praying. So quite a contrast. <laughs> and then one of our um, church family members was headed that way for business and they have a home there and they just said in, in passing, it'd be cool if you could go with me to Columbia one day. And right there in my heart, it triggered, and God said, you need to book a trip to Colombia. Since I've been here to Pathway now, um, I've, God has given me sort of the, the urgency and the necessity to write and journal what God has, is doing in my heart and life. I have not been a journaler. I'm not, um, I, I'm not normally that way, but uh, I started journaling. And so I've got three journals since I've been here for now a year and five months. And I began that journaling process and God said, I want you to take all three of your journals and I want you to do three things. And so I tried to receive that from the Lord. And the first thing that God wanted me to do was reflect and so I took all three journals, I have three black journals, the other two are at my home, and there's at the very top of it, there are, there's a date, and then it, there's just anything that God has put on my heart for that day. So I started doing that, and so I just wanted to reflect. All three journals, I wanted to reflect what God did since I've, I've, I've been here in Vero Beach. And then I wanted to, God said, now you need to not just reflect on what all that I've done in the last year and five months, now you need to repent. And that was a tough moment because I had to go through all of my journaling and then look where areas of my life that maybe I just wasn't doing so well 
or I didn't make a decision that wasn't of the Lord, or I did something, or I remember reflecting, or I made a decision for my family or the ministry, and I just needed to repent before the Lord. And I asked the Lord to reveal those things in my heart and allow me to get them, get them right. And then the last part of my time with God was to receive, because now I wanted to receive what God was doing in the moment and in the season of my life. And so I began writing that down, and I said to the Lord, um, God, I want to do that in a new way. So I brought a new journal with me. And so this is my new journal only for that moment. And I just began writing and writing and writing and writing. And these are not private journals. Um, in, in a moment of authenticity and transparency, if God ever allows me to reveal it, because he, 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 it's the best thing, I'd, I'd be happy to do that and obey the Lord. So I just began doing those three things. And a part of that, God took me to the Gospel of John in helping me to do what I needed to do in receiving. And then when I got to John, John 13 really just moved me and compelled me. And it was almost like this is what I'm trying to do in your life and your, your family right now, and I need you to receive it, Chantha. And so I did. And the verse that caught me off guard was a verse that would not or should not have caught me off guard um, because I know the story so well that I dismissed it, but the Spirit of God said, go back and read it. And so when I went back and reread it and reread it, because I knew in the receiving, I was only receiving it based on what I already knew. So I really wasn't receiving. I was just rereading something, and I actually wasn't receiving. And so I would go back, and I would read again a couple of chapters before. And every single time to John 13, it was like, reread John 13. And so I began rereading John 13. Would you follow along with me in John 13? I want to show you a, a verse that ministered to me. John 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his time had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end during the supper, this is referring to the last supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come before from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper. Now I want you to watch with me here in verse number four. This is the verse that God ministered to me. He rose up from supper. He, allay, he laid aside his outer garments. I could not be moved away from two very simple words that smacked me through the physical part of who I was and into, the, into my spirit. The spirit of God was ministering to me and the words that came out were these words. I want you to underline it with me if you have a pen. Outer garments outer garments. You see, because in the average society today, and if you go to work, you're expected to wear a certain kind of outfit. There's a dress code. If you go to school, there's a certain level of dress code. And even when we come to church, mentally, we think of a certain dress code of how we want that to be. Our outerwear projects our perceived identity. This is what I want you to perceive me at. So this is what I'm going to do in order for you to now receive me in a certain way. And in this moment of very 
special and intimate moment, Jesus Christ, during the Last Supper, the Bible says that he removed his outer garment. And if you remove, if you will, your outer garment, I'm just going to take these off for just a moment as a demonstration. When you take off the outer garment, there's something underneath that garment. It is your undergarment. In a, in a moment of, of, of specialness of what Jesus was doing with the disciples, as he was now going to the cross, as he was getting preparing himself, he asked them to look beyond what was happening in the physical realm of the removal of an outer garment. And he was trying to teach them a spiritual truth that I believe God was ministering to me. And I want to walk us through what that means. Because at some point in our life, we've got to remove the outer garment of our perceived identity so that we can walk in intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I'd like to invite our church into in this moment. What is your projection that you're trying to convey to people, to Jesus, to religion. The Bible says that man looks on the outward, but God knows the heart. John 13, 1 through 17 in this passage, and I want you to study this with me, but I want to read Matthew 23, verse 27. It says, woe, woe to the scribes, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And then here's a pretty harsh word. What does the next word say? Hypocrites. Hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Wow, that's pretty harsh. You're a scribe, you're a Pharisee, you're a hypocrite, you're just like a casket. On the outside, it looks beautiful, but on the inside... It's full of dead man's bones and all of uncleanness. First Samuel 16, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look in his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God looks on the heart. This is about your, not about your outer garment of what you're trying to project of who you are. I want our congregation, there should be pens right in front of you. You have a Bible, you have notes. I want you to write four questions that I want you to wrestle with God on this week and in the spirit of the moment. First question is this, how many layers of outerwear do you have on? Now, I'm not talking about just your physical layers here. I'm referring to the spiritual layers. I'm referring, I'm referring to the emotional layers. I'm referring to who you are versus who you want to project yourself to be. I'll repeat that question again because you're going to have to ask someone inside your life group. Or your life group leader might ask that of you. Your small group leader might ask that of you. How many layers of outerwear do you have on? Second question. How are you projecting your perceived identity? How are you doing with projecting your perceived identity? 
Question number three, who knows your personal or private identity? Who knows your personal or private identity? Well, dad is one way at church, but boy, oh boy, we know the real him at home. That's what I'm talking about. Is who you are out there different from who you are in here? Question number four. Who are spiritual leaders placed into your life? So at some point in the message, we're going to have to, we're going to look through those questions and you're going to have to wrestle with those questions this week. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. We're, we're talking about outerwear and underwear. We're talking about a moment of intimacy, if you will. What is intimacy? What's the definition of intimacy? A one way of defining it, a simple way of defining it is this, intimacy, into me you see. Into me, you see. Well, what you see is on the outside. You don't see into me. You see on the outside. The way I project myself at church to my brother, my sister in the Lord is, it's not intimacy. It's my perceived identity. I want you to receive me this way. So I'm going to hold my Bible this way. And I'm going to wave at you this way. And I'm going to hug you this way. I'm going to sing praises because this is my projected identity. You see, that's the way the world system works. Is It's really shallow in how it works. But see, in biblical culture, God wants us to go beyond what we see on the outside. So he deals with what is on the inside. Into me, you see. We're three-part beings. God is a God of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We are flesh. We're body here. You see my flesh, my soul, the seat of my emotions, and then my spirit, who has, which has been born again in the spirit of Christ if you have received him unto redemption. In those three-part beings, we see only in the physical realm. We reveal our heart to someone. And in our spirit, God knows who we really are because that is what God wants to transform inside of us through who we are and into the physical realm. We reveal our glory. I'll use another word in, in sort of a switch word. We reveal our glory or our nakedness our vulnerability only to very certain person or certain intimate moments, if you will. You see, in Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were made without clothes. Naked came I into this world, naked shall I go, right? When God created Adam and Eve, they didn't have clothes. But the moment that they fell into sin, what was the one thing they wanted to do? Cover up. If you read Genesis, in the story of, the, uh, of Genesis, God says, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that? You see, because once we have sin in our life, 
We, want, we don't want anyone to know about it. Cover it up. This is now my perceived identity. So spiritually speaking or soulfully speaking, this is the way I am now because now I'm, I'm, I'm vulnerable. Now it's been revealed. And now I have to put on and project something that is not how God identified me to be and how God made me to be. So I have to put on. Let's keep going here. People take off their coverings in unsafe places. We live in a society where it's okay to be free and loose, and now we brought that into the church house, into Christianity, and we start revealing ourselves in unsafe places, and then we become vulnerable because those were not safe places to reveal ourselves, so now we're more damaged. And now we have a way of looking at God with resentment and bitterness. I tried to be true. I tried to reveal myself in church, the one place that I should have freedom, right? And then I was hurt by the church. It's no longer safe, so I'm now stepping away from that. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. Follow along with me. The church, the bride of Christ, should be a safe place to remove your coverings. If the disciples, think about this, in the moment where with the disciples, all right? If the disciples were to disrobe, take out their outer garment, they would have all been transparent. You have, in that moment of the upper room, all right, you have something underneath that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal. You have an option. You can reveal or you can conceal. You can reveal or you can conceal. You see, when God wants to expose things, God wants to reveal something, are you trying to cover it up? When you are revealing, you are now sharing in a moment of intimacy with God, with the disciples. Remember, God already knew all this. And so here they were just a couple of verses before then. Who's going to sit with God at the right hand of God? That's what they were fighting about. That's it. Before all of this, they were fighting about who's going to be with God. They were fighting about who's going to be by his right-hand side. Peter says, man, I'm going to stand with you to the end. They've seen signs. They've seen miracles. And all of a sudden, in a spiritual moment, Jesus disrobed himself, his outerwear, into a special moment of washing the disciples' feet. And he wanted to display, guys, I'm going to reveal something to you. What's going to happen is I need, to, I need to lay aside my royal robe. And I'm going to enter into a sacred covenant with God of which I've already made the promise that I'm going to die for the sins of this world. You see, when you come to a moment of vulnerability, of removing your outerwear, it always enters you into a sacred trust with God. In God's divine calling for you. And I, that's what God, Jesus had to do. When God was in heaven, he said, I will go down to earth, took off his royal garment and went to earth and put on swaddling clothes. It's an act of humility. 
Naked came he into this world and now he comes and he gets swaddling clothes. I want you to write this statement down because this is a profound statement. I'm gonna put on my jacket again and I want you to use this as a mask, if you will. No one told me that when I wear a mask, that only my mask receives love, not me. Pretend that this, is, this jacket is the mask. No one told me that when I wear a mask, only my mask receives love, not me. I'll just be vulnerable in a moment. Is that all right? I'll just go ahead and put on the pastor mask. And that's all you're going to see. I'll just put on the preacher mask. And that's what you're going to see. But when you sit down with me and you know my heart, I've been able to remove the outer garment. And now you know the real me. And when you know the real me, you have an opportunity to say, I wonder if that matches up. I wonder if it's the same. But when you only ever reveal your mask, your, 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 your coat to those around you, what you've got to know is that's the only thing that's receiving love. It's pretty shallow. It's a pretty shallow kind of love. What if there was a place so safe that the worst of me could be known and I would discover that I would not be loved less, but more in the telling of it? That I'm in a safe place. I'm in a place of redemption. I'm in a place of forgiveness. I'm in a place of, uh, of freedom. I'm in a place of love. I'm in a place of restoration. So in the telling of it, in the revealing of it, I'm not going to be loved less. I'm going to be loved more because God takes my brokenness. God takes my ashes and he turns it into beauty. That's the redemption. That's the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He always wants to reveal the ugly side of us that we think is ugly, but he already died for that, and he took off his royal coat, and he covered that with his blood. Hallelujah. Amen. You're no longer in bondage. You're no longer a sinner. You're no longer a slave because that's not how I see you. I see you as a son, as a daughter, as a child of God that's been redeemed, washed by the blood of the lamb. Hallelujah. What if there was a place so safe? Here are a couple of insights that I receive in John chapter number 13 that I want you to Sort of see my heart on it a little bit. If you take off your outerwear, you have to reveal your undergarment. You have to reveal yourself. Jesus Christ, in this moment, chose to take off his outer garment and reveal himself. You and I, remember those four questions, you have something to wrestle with this week. Your perceived identity and your personal identity. And guess who knows 
you. God already knows everything. But the person that has to wrestle with that on a daily basis is you. And at some point, you've got to reconcile that and say, God, I'm tired of wearing the mask. I'm tired of it. Because I feel like I'm having to change that every day. I feel like I have to take it off, put it on, take it off, put it on, take it off, put it on. And at some point, I'm just weary, God. That's what everyone sees me as. But this is how I know you know me as. Insight number one was from the revelation of John 13. It says, now therefore the feast of the Passover, feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He knew that Peter would betray him, but guess what God did anyways? Loved him. He knew that, Ju- that Thomas would, would doubt, but he loved him anyways. He knew that Judas would trade him in for some money, but he loved him anyways. You see, God knows the real us, and yet he chooses to love us. That's the amazing character and eternal, immeasurable, immutable love of God. Grace is a covering for us. God loves us so much that he is willing to cover us with grace. Verse number three, Jesus, knowing the father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, was going back to God. He took off that robe, that outer garment. So number two, I want you to notice this. We have to allow Jesus to do what he needs to do. I wish I could unpack this more and Maybe I'll, I have 15 things that I, God taught me. I don't have 15. I can't share all 15 in, in this setting, but I pray maybe as in the future, I'll be able to, to, to do the rest of it. But I want you to notice, this is the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He takes off his robe. The Bible says he puts on a towel to go clean the disciples' feet, to wash the disciples' feet in this very, in this very moment, okay? I want you to notice something here. Because Peter says, Lord, you can't wash my feet. What Peter didn't recognize in the moment was he was resisting God from God doing something for him and to him. I want to ask you the question now. What are you resisting God from washing in your life? You got to ponder that. What do you, what do you, what's, you can wash my hands, Lord, here you go. But my feet, that's the dirty part of me. That's the me that, you see, when, when, when you walk in, especially in third world cultures and in biblical customs and culture, you walk around not with closed toed shoes. You walk around with sandals. And when you're walking in the dust of the road, what gets onto your feet normally? Dirt. Dirt 
and mud. You see, in your life, you have had to, in the journey of life, you had to walk down the road of life and you've gotten muddy and dirty. You need a cleansing. That's what you need. That's what I need. You need Jesus to wash not just your hands, but you need your feet, your most intimate part uh, of you, if you will. This is, I don't want you to see my toenails. I don't want you to see the bottom of my feet. I don't want you to see my callus. I don't want you to see all that grime. Ew, that's disgusting. That's probably, I'll do it myself. But it takes, it takes the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter. He's trying to demonstrate something to you and you need to let him. Peter didn't get it at first. Peter didn't get it at first. He's like, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet. Ben, no way, you ain't gonna wash my feet. And Jesus looks at him and says, says to him in a very pressing way, Jesus answered, what am I, do- what am I doing? You don't understand. But afterwards, you will understand. And the same applied to me when I was telling you about my time in Colombia. You don't understand all that God's trying to cleanse in your life right now. But in the future, you're going to understand it all. You need a cleansing, Chantha. Time to repent. You need a cleansing, Chantha. Receive what God is doing in your life right now, Chantha. Don't resist it. You need to reflect on the moment. You need to repent. You need to receive. That was the moment where I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't understand all, God, what you're trying to do. But what you're doing right now, I'm going to go ahead and let you do it. Are you letting God do what he needs to do? Are you guarding yourself from being cleansed? How's your feet? In verse number five, then he poured out into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, he, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus. Uh, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Wow. If you don't let me wash you, you're not a part of me. You're not choosing to let me identify with you and you with me right now. What are you keeping from God and not allowing him to wash? It's between you and the Lord. The next thing that I learned is this. Allow Jesus to cleanse all of you and not just part of you. Peter had a moment when he said this. Watch this now. Verse number eight. Verse number nine. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. So Peter says, why don't you wash all of me then? Wash, wash my hands, wash my head, wash my feet. Wash all the parts that need to be washed. Renew my mind. Take my hands. Take my feet. I consecrate it all to you, O God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Every part of you is an offering to God. 
as an acceptable sacrifice to God. Number four, recognize the difference between spiritual authority and constitutional authority. I want you to notice with me in verse number, um, we'll, go, we'll go down to verse number 10 and I'll just read the passage here. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed, uh, go down to 11, for he knew who was to betray him and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place and said to them, do you understand what I, am, what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right and so I am. If I then your teacher and Lord have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now here's, here's what I want, want to demonstrate in that last point. Jesus says to disciples, I am your Lord and your teacher. Agree? You saw that within scripture. Jesus was giving them, he was entering into the spiritual realm and the physical realm all in one breath, constantly. In, he, it just, he couldn't be separated from the two moments. I and my father are one. Well, well, God the Father's in heaven, but yet how are you physically here? That's the trinity and the, 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 the amazingness of who God is. That is the omnipresence of God. He is, he is in the spiritual realm and he is in the physical realm. And he says a word that helps him to identify this. And you and I need to identify this in our own personal lives. He said to them, I'm going to wash your feet. But what you don't recognize, you, you think I'm trying to wash you on the outside. But what you got to understand is I'm trying to cleanse you and show you a spiritual dimension that you're not understanding. I'm trying to cleanse you of, of your life. I'm trying to make, let you know that I'm the Lord of your life and your teacher. Your teacher is someone who you refer to as someone you can know. He is my teacher. He's a, he's a rabbi. I see him. But in the spiritual realm, he was the Lord. And so he says to them, you, I am both to you in the moment, but what say you that I am? Am I only a teacher or am I also your Lord as well? So he says in that moment, I am your Lord and your teacher. I want you to notice the spiritual and the constitutional uh, authority that's been placed on Jesus at the moment. And he's asking for that same recipient of understanding from his disciples. The washing of the feet of the disciples were beyond an illustration of servant leadership. It was teaching us something really sacred in the life of our church and in the life of your relationship. You see, your husband and wife relationship, father, mother, and child relationship. I can have constitutional positional authority over Caleb as his dad in the home. But if I do not have spiritual authority over him because I haven't earned that and I haven't been given that, guess what? I don't have the privilege of speaking spiritual truth into my son. Then guess what happens? Resentment ends up building. Because you're just the one who tells me and you're just the one who provides for me. Your employer at work, it could be the same thing. The only reason I'm, I'm doing this job is because you're my boss. In your heart, you say that. So on the outward, you wear the employee coat. 
But in your heart, you're like, you're a loser. You're a jerk. In a way, can I just use the term, he and, or she has positional authority, but not spiritual authority. And somehow we have been deceived by the wicked one. And we've allowed that to infiltrate our churches where we give positional authority to people because we have to. And then we lose out on the spiritual authority that's being demonstrated. Because if they had tried to stop Jesus, they would not have received that spiritual authority of what he was trying to get accomplished to get to the cross. Apply that in your personal lives, in your work setting, in your relationship with your spouse. Try that with your teacher. You can give them teacher authority, but if they don't have the term spiritual authority to speak into you, you're, they, they can't tell you what to do. You just do it with a grudging heart. Try that wife with your husband. Try that husband with your wife. And you'll see a new dimension of your relationship that will start to grow. And God can really, you will be under biblical submission. And the line of spiritual authority, the Bible refers to as a channel of blessing. You see, in every area of our life, we have authority in our life. We have law. We have judge, judges. We have courts. We have presidents, senates, and congress. You can obey them that have the rule over you and do it with a grudging heart. You're only giving them positional authority. But if you've never received them, then you've not given them emotional or spiritual authority in your life. Man, I wish we can unpack all this. It's a lot. I told you. It had, there's more insights that, that, that I have, but we're just out of time. I pray maybe the next time that we come together, we'll be able to continue. We got four things done. We have 11 more. But I hope that maybe just in this message that you'll just decide in your heart, walk away with those questions and say, what outer garment do I have on that I'm not allowing the Lord to see through because I have to be pretend me versus the real me? Jesus demonstrated that by removing that outer garment. Can you and I, as a church family, decide to say, at some point, we just walk, have to walk in humility? The Bible tells us to walk in humility, right? And to walk humbly with our God. And to do justly and to seek mercy. These are the things that we're supposed to do. Can we do that as a church family? so that we can be a family that demonstrates what it means to be authentic in living in biblical community with the Lord Jesus Christ and with one another. We're going to play a song over the PA system, audio system. And I just want us to dwell on the words of the song and let it minister to you. And if God is saying to you, why don't you just be vulnerable in the moment and take off your outerwear and humble yourself before the Lord? Use an altar to do that. Would you just obey the spirit? I'm going to go ahead and ask the audio team to go ahead and play the song. 
and have it ready. And then I just want us to just meditate on the words of the song. Go ahead, guys. I'm sorry. You've got your reasons, but I hold your peace. You've been on lockdown, and I hold the key. Cause I loved you before, you knew it was allowed. And I saw it all, still I chose the cross. And you were the one that I was thinking of when I wrote. From the grave, now read of the shackles, my victory is yours. I told the veil for you to come close. There's no reason to stand at a distance anymore. You're not far from home. And I'll be your lighthouse when you're lost at sea. Don't be afraid of it. No, just throw off your fear and come running to me. Oh, cause I loved you before. You knew what was the love. And I saw it all. Still I chose the cross. And you are the one that I was thinking of when I rose from the
intimacy into me you see. Can we choose to walk that out as a church in spiritual intimacy with God and each other? Father, we thank you very much for your word and the moment of intimacy that you allowed us to see in John 13. And Father, help us to remove our coats, our masks, so that the real us could be loved. Dismiss us, God, with your blessing. Anoint our steps this week and help us to walk in love for one another as you have loved and demonstrated that to us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. A different kind of a message, but I pray that it would strengthen you in the Lord and it would help our church family. God bless you. Stick around, linger a while, and there's not a donut wall this week, but go get some coffee. Have a great week. God bless you.